We're going to dive right in this afternoon with the third Psalms. And if I were to give this Psalms a title, I'd probably call it Peace in the Midst of the Storm. And you'll understand why in just a second. So if everyone would grab a Bible or grab your phone and turn to Psalms chapter 3. And if you look at the first Psalms, and then the second Psalms, and then the third Psalms, you'll notice a difference. The third Psalms is the first Psalms that kind of has a heading or a subtitle. And if we read that, it says, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And we read that story this morning, so you should know what's going on, but if you remember from this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 15, Absalom had won the hearts of the people and was plotting a way to take away the throne from his father. And when David hears about this, he says in 2 Samuel 15, verse 14, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of a sword. David here is choosing not to fight and He's the greatest, the greatest warrior at that time was fleeing, and this was the guy that supposedly killed Goliath. And he's fleeing from his own son. Why? Why didn't he just choose to fight? I uh, thought a couple reasons. Perhaps it was because he didn't want to harm his own son. Uh, perhaps it was because uh, Absalom swayed the people's opinion and was honoring their will. Whatever the case, regardless of that, there were still pe uh, people loyal to David and the kingdom under his rule. And they even brought out the Ark of the Covenant with them as they fled. And this was David's response to that in verse 25 and 26. Then the king said, Does Zadok carry the Ark of God back into the city? If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. And I wanted to add those verses because with everything going on, David isn't concerned with what the people want. Instead, he's concerned with what God thinks about everything. And a question that popped in my head as I was studying the Psalms was, you know, they're, they're fleeing. Where, where are they going to? They, they had to be going somewhere. And uh, if we continue to read on, we'll find, find that David's destination was Mount Olivet or the Mount of Olives. And... I want you to keep in mind that this uh, place was considered a place of prayer at the time. So in verse 30, it says, So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Everyone that was there, or let me show you these pictures real quick to give you the Location. This is the city of Jerusalem, and northeast of that is where David is heading to, the Mount of Olives. And the, the picture on the right, that is not David, of course, but it kind of gives you a picture of what's going on and give you the scene. And everyone in that picture, uh, including David, was weeping, and they were crying, and it was in the, in the middle of this overthrow of the kingdom, the betrayal of his own son, and it seems like everything is turned upside down. And that, so, and that is when David offers up this conversation with God. So let's look at Psalms together. And we're going to start with the 
first two verses and hear David's heart in this time of rebellion. He begins, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. At the writing of this psalm, David was in a great deal of trouble. His son Absalom has led what seemed to be a successful rebellion. And uh, many of his previous friends forsook David and joined those who troubled him. And you can find that in 2 Samuel 15, verse 13. But I want to look at what these people were saying of David. So if we look at the bottom of verse 2 again, it says, There is no help for him in God. David's situation was so bad that many people thought that uh, he was beyond God's help. They probably didn't think that God was unable to help David. They probably thought that he was unwilling to help him. They looked at David's past sin and figured, you know, this is, this is what he deserves. There is no help for him in God. An example of someone who felt this way about David was Shimei. And this can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And this thought was probably most painful of all for David, the thought that God might be against him and that there is no help for him in God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's the worst thing anyone can say to anyone. Look, you messed up so bad that not even God can save you. And you might as well just give up because I'll tell you, when we've lost God's help, we've lost everything. But David had hope in his heart, and he goes on to say this. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Though many said that there was no help for him in God, David knew that God was his shield. He's under attack from a ruthless enemy, so of course he needs some kind of shield then. Many people couldn't shake David's confidence in a God of love and help. And I want you to think about that very carefully. Wouldn't you ask God for the same unshakable confidence in him? <clears throat> but David, or but God was more than David's protection. He also was the one who put David on higher ground and lifted his head and showed him the glory. There was nothing glorious or head lifting about David's circumstances, but there was in his God. Many people find glory in all sorts of things, fame, power, possessions. Uh, but David, he found his glory in God. And I found a quote from F.B. Meyer, and he sums that up best. He says, Oh, my soul, hast thou made God thy glory? Others boast in their wealth, beauty, position, achievements. Dost thou find in God what they find in these? And I want to repeat that last part again. Dost thou find in God? what they find in these. And I think that's very important because we need to be able to say that the glory of my soul is in God. And in the midst of this, he continues on in verse 4, and he says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And I like that phrasing. I like how David said, I cried to the Lord with my voice. You know, most of the time, we cry out to God in our heads silently, but have you ever cried to the Lord with your voice? 
where your heart is so overwhelmed with pain and difficulty that, and just in the need of the moment, that it feels like all you can do is groan to God, all you can do is weep those tears and sob those sobbings. When we cry out to God silently, God can still hear those prayers, but I'm going to suggest something to you. It's even better to cry out to the Lord with your voice. And he ends verse 4 by saying, he heard me from his holy hill. Others said that God wanted nothing to do with David, but he could gloriously say he heard me. Though Absalom took over Jerusalem and forced David out of there, David knew that it wasn't Absalom enthroned on God's holy hill. God himself still held that ground and would hear and help David from his holy hill. And I want you to think how powerful these first four verses are. And five and six continue on in the same way. And says, I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In verse 5, David uses both of these as evidence of God's blessing. One, sleep was a blessing because David was under intense pressure from Absalom's rebellion. That sleep might have been impossible. And waking up was another blessing because many people wondered if David would live to see a new day. And the same is true for us. God sustains us in our sleep, but we take that for granted. And think about it. We are asleep, unconscious, dead to the world, yet we're still breathing. Our heart still pumps. All our organs are operating properly. And the same God who sustains us in our sleep will sustain us in our difficulties. That is why David wakes up in verse 6 and he says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. With God sustaining him, David could stand up against anyone. And before it was written, David probably knew the truth of Romans 8 and 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we come to the last two verses of the Psalms, verses 7 and 8. And David is going to bless God. And he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. David's mind was on both what he trusted God to do, that has saved me, oh my God, and what God had done, for you have struck all my enemies, and you have broke the teeth of the ungodly. And knowing what God had done gives David the confidence of what the Lord will do. And do you know how important that is? We need to step back and say, I remember the many ways that God has come through for me before. Isn't that true of us? God has come through us, through for us again and again and again in the past. And I'm not saying that there hasn't been some unanswered prayers. I'm not saying that there hasn't been some disappointments along the way. But even with those, can you recount a time where God has shown himself faithful? And knowing what God has done can give you confidence in what the Lord will do in the future. That is why David begins in verse 7 by saying, Arise, O Lord. And these are recalled words of Numbers 10 and 35 where Moses used this phrase as the children of Israel broke camp in the wilderness. And it was a phrase calling on God to go forth and to defend Israel and lead them to battle. And David is calling on God and he's saying he wants God to lead him in the battle. Lord, you defend me. Lord, you lead me to victory. And he could call on God to do this because he remembered how God in verse 7 broke the teeth of the ungodly. 
and this vivid metaphor. And I, I say vivid because can you imagine somebody getting their teeth knocked out in their mouth? It's disgusting and sounds horrible, but that metaphor is also used in Psalms 58, 6. It speaks of a total defeat of the enemy. And David looked for protection in this psalm, but more for more than protection, he looked for victory. And it wasn't enough for David to survive the threat of the kingdom. He had to be victorious over that threat. And he would be with the blessing of God, bringing him to the frame of mind where he now says in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. What does salvation belong to the Lord mean? Although this phrase appears here in Psalm and throughout several other scriptures, I think it's most notable appears in Jonah chapter 2, especially verse 9, Jonah says a prayer and he ends this prayer by saying salvation is of the Lord. And what does it mean? He was in a hopeless place. He was sure to die at sea because remember, he's, in, he's inside a well at this time. He was lost and unable to save himself, but God intervened and rescued Jonah from a sure death. And this account of Jonah is a picture of God's salvation for us all. As sinners, we are born spiritually dead of our trespasses, unable to save ourselves. And even though we may be lost and hopeless, unable to save ourselves like Jonah, God can save you and he desires to do so. And this is what I think it means to say salvation belongs to the Lord. Hope eternal only belongs to God and he shares it by grace with only those who trust in him and his son Jesus for salvation. And I think David himself understood that, that salvation both in an ultimate and immediate sense. His immediate need at the time, um, excuse me, I lost my place. What? Salvation belongs to the Lord God, and if you want to be saved, you have to deal with the Lord, and this is what salvation belongs to the Lord. And he ends this psalm by saying, your blessing is upon your people. And I think that's an important way to end this psalm because this shows that David's heart in this time of need wasn't only concerned with God's hand upon himself, but upon all of God's people. David didn't pray for preservation and victory in the trial with Absalom just for his own sake, but he did so because it was best for the nation. Now, if David could be confident that God was going to save him from enemies whose intentions were to kill him, can you and I be confident in the same God to deliver us from our troubles? We, we just broke apart David's prayer, and we've seen him call to the Lord and tell the Lord his complaints. We saw him express his confidence in the Lord, and we saw him ask the Lord for help, and we saw him praise the Lord. And I can tell you from this that this approach to God helps. And when we're faced with a situation that just won't quit and is just so disturbing and overwhelming, we need to mimic what David did in this Psalms. And I want to leave you with this question. What is your single greatest burden? What is the thing that concerns you the most? The thing that makes you want to cry out, would you consider taking it to the Lord? This afternoon, if you have a burden weighing down on you and you feel the need to cry out and recognize that salvation belongs to God, I encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.